There is one story that stands out as the greatest story ever told. In this story, you and I aren't just made to feel like participants, we are characters within the story. We are the characters, our world is the setting, and the plot is broken down into five acts. Act one, creation. Act two, rebellion. Act three, rescue. Act four, communion. Act five, celebration. The conflict occurs in the first act, the resolution is introduced in act three and continues through the present and into the future. The greatest story ever told is the story of God and us. Well, it's so good to be here with you guys today. I want to say welcome to those of you joining us at West Campus. Welcome to those of you joining us online. My name is Andrew Bonner, and I'm one of the pastors here at Crossroads. And before we jump in, I need to let you guys know about a couple of things. The first thing is that coming up in two weeks, the weekend of September 29th and 30th, we will be having our annual congregational meeting um, right here at Crossroads. So that will take place uh, at the end of each service that week weekend. Um, and during that time, you'll have the opportunity to uh, affirm our budget for the 2018-2019 budget year. If you'd like to find out more about that, you can find that information at cccgo.com forward slash give, or you can also find more information in the fall ministry guide in the back there. Both of those have information about the budget. Uh, the second thing we want to do is just take a minute uh, to talk about and pray for those who've been affected by Hurricane Florence. Uh, it's always challenging to see uh, just pain and suffering come in, in times of natural disasters. And, and as a church, we recognize that, that a lot of times response comes in three phases. Uh, the first phase is rescue. And, and we believe that that's best left up to experts and locals to, to offer that support. Um, but we believe that, that following that are, are phases of relief and rebuilding. We believe that we as a church here at Crossroads have a role to play in offering relief and rebuilding in times like these. Uh, we don't know exactly what that's going to look like yet, but we are working on a plan for how we best as a congregation can respond and support those who've been affected by the hurricane. If you would like to be among the first to know um, how it is that we're going to respond, if you would like to play a part in that, what you can do is text the words CCC help to the number 25827. And whenever we get that plan together, we will communicate with you immediately to let you know how you can come alongside us in that. Now, before we jump in today, I do want us to take a minute to pray for those who, who've been affected by the hurricane. So let's pray together. Father, I pray right now, uh, and I come with a heart that hurts because people are hurting. Father, right now I want to pray for those who, who are actively seeking to, to offer um, support by, by seeking to, to rescue people who are in danger. Father, I pray that you will give them strength as they work long days. I pray that you will give them wisdom as they go into difficult circumstances and they have to make hard decisions. Father, I pray that you will just have your hand of blessing upon them. Father, I pray also right now for those who have lost loved ones in this time. Father, I pray that you will show yourself to be the God you say you are in scripture, the God of all comfort. God, you are a faithful God and we thank you for that and we pray this in Jesus' name, amen. 
We are excited as a church about this new series that we are starting this weekend. I'm especially excited as the family ministries pastor here because over the next five weeks, everyone from um, our kids in the nursery all the way up through what we're doing here in weekend worship, we're all gonna be walking through the same passages of scripture over the next five weeks, which is exciting because I think it'll give um, our families here the opportunity to talk to their kids about what they're learning in a new and exciting way. I think it's also going to help us as we read our Bibles on our own because it'll help us see that in this map of the story of God in us, it'll help us figure out where we are in that story as we're reading. That's such a, a powerful thing for me. And so I hope that that'll be something we can enjoy together. Now, the Bible is an incredible book. It's a book that was written over 1600 years It's broken up in 66 individual books written by over 40 different authors, written on three different continents and three different languages. Yet all of that comes together to tell one story. And it's a story that we are calling the story of God and us. And we're going to walk through it in five acts, beginning today with creation, next week with rebellion. Week three, we're going to talk about the rescue. And we're going to close out by talking about communion and then celebration. And again, we are excited because stories are are powerful. Stories help shape who we are today. I remember growing up, I can remember just how caught up in stories I would become. Somewhere along the line, my my mom told my brother and I that that we had Native American roots. And and so that was part of our heritage. And so we decided that that meant we were basically full-blooded Native Americans, which meant that that we tried to to live out our lives the best we could. The fact is it was probably, actually not probably, it was really far off from reality, but my mom made us like outfits to wear. So we would wear these regularly. Not only that, but, but she made us teepees. And I still have one of those teepees in my garage today. I'm hoping that when my son grows up that that he will also like to play in it because if not, there's gonna be a creepy guy downtown Evansville playing in a teepee while his child is asking him what he's doing and that guy will be me. (laughs) So I'm hoping he joins me in that. My mom taught us how to make bow and arrow using just like an elastic string and a stick. So we would go around and we would shoot arrows and we would live out this story from, from movies that we had seen or books that we had read. And it would change the way that we responded to one another and who we shot arrows at. We were all just living out of this story. Stories are powerful, especially for kids. If you don't have a place to serve here at Crossroads, I highly recommend our kids area simply because it's entertaining, okay? Our kids, uh, a few months ago, I was serving in our preschool on a Saturday night and I had a, a small group and, and there was this kid who came in dressed out all out like Iron Man walking in the door that night. And one of the neat things was by the end of the night, the kid would not respond to anything other than Iron Man. <laughs> Why? Because he was so caught up in this story. He was so caught up in this character that it changed the way he even responded. But stories don't just shape us when we are kids. It follows us into adulthood. The fact is that I know grown men in this building right now who dressed up all out like Star Wars gear, lightsaber and all, to go and see the Star Wars movies as they come out now. Star Wars captured our culture's imagination 41 years ago when it came out and gave a picture of what could be a new reality. 
And even today, as we watch movies like that, we're caught up in this sense of, of adventure and exploration. It taps into something that's inside of us. And in Star Wars, we, we also see this battle of good versus evil. And we think, whoa, whoa I see that in our world. And, and I would like to play a role in that too. We see a little hint with a, a little twist of even faith over might in the story of Star Wars. And it grabs us in and makes us want to be a part of it. The fact is that, that we can watch movies like Star Wars and spend two and a half hours having all logic thrown out and having all of our emotions tied into these fictional characters. It's crazy the power that, that story has in our life. Maybe for you it's not Star Wars. Maybe it's movies like Gladiator where you have a, a character like Maximus who is so focused on the hope that he has of, of seeing his family again, that he can press through these hard times and this hope transcends this life, but it's even a hope in an afterlife. Or maybe more like the notebook style is your type of thing and you love these twisted love stories that for some reason just, just kind of draws in. I don't know, but I do know that regardless of who you are, story plays a role in your life. As we get ready to jump into our series today, the, the thing I want to ask you to ask yourself is simply this, what is your story? What is it that most defines who you are? What is it that gives you the, the strongest sense of identity? Is your story one that's defined based upon success at work? Is your story one, one that's constantly driven by what your sales numbers are for a month or for a quarter? Is your story one that's defined by, by what you thought was just one bad night that's turned into to years of battling depression? Is your story one that you think is defined by a marriage that fell apart? Is your story one that's defined by not having a, a desire fulfilled? You see, the fact is, for whoever we are in this room, no matter where we come from, whether good or bad, we cannot escape this fact, and it's simply this, that all of us are living our lives out of a dominant story. A lot of times, this, this is from our story of origin, our family story. That's definitely true for me. I, I was incredibly blessed by the family I was born into, and, and I recognize that up front. I had two parents who loved one another and they loved all six kids that they had. They had three favorites. Three of us didn't make the cut to be favorites, but they still loved all six of us. As I was growing up, I had five siblings who are still some of my best friends today. And that is an incredible blessing. And I thank God that I was born into the family that I was. I didn't do anything to deserve that. But I also recognize that, that growing up in the family that I did has shaped a lot of who I am today, both for good and for bad. You see, I grew up in a town of about 3,500 people and it was the largest town in our county. And so growing up, it was like there were eight Bondurants in the county and all of us lived under one roof. <laughs> My dad was a leader in our church and also worked at a local Christian university. And so there was a certain image to uphold being a Bondurant in Grayson, Kentucky. Now, I don't know that that was a weight that my parents put on me as much as it was a weight that I put on myself or where the surrounding culture put on me. But I remember growing up trying to uphold this, this story, uphold this image of living up to my family name. 
I wanted to make sure that, that people knew that, that I was a bonder and that meant something. The problem was, as I went into my teen years and went into my college years, I quickly discovered that there was another story I was living by that competed. And it was a story that said, Andrew, you need to, to fulfill your own desires. So the problem was, is I tried to live these two stories together. I tried to uphold a certain image before people while also living this other story. And the problem was, sometimes those stories would bleed together. And when they did, I, was, I would be exposed as a fraud. The fact is that I am still tempted to live out of that story of upholding a certain image while that not reflecting my heart. It's a constant battle to say, okay, God, search my heart. I want to portray the image of who you are in my life, not just of being a good person. The fact is that growing up and even today, one of my greatest fears at times is that people will truly know me and know my heart and that if they did, there's no way they could love me. Do you have a story like that? Do you have a story where you're afraid that if people really knew what was underneath, they couldn't possibly love you? Is your story one that's defined by maintaining a certain image of your marriage or your family so that the, the world sees something that maybe isn't underneath? Is your story one that's defined by an inability throughout your life of living up to your parents' expectations? Again, the, the fact is that, that all of us are living our lives out of a dominant story. The thing I found in my own life, though, is that this personal story that I live out of can often cause me to, to believe outright lies about who I am and who God is. And the thing that I hope we will see in this series is that it's only whenever we see the, the role that our personal story plays in God's bigger story that we can stand firm in who we are. It's only then that our life can truly make sense because regardless of what our story has told us before, there is a true and better story that we're calling the story of God in us that offers redemption, healing, and renewal regardless of what your story has said before. God's story is a good story. So over these next five weeks, as we start with creation and conclude with celebration, I hope you'll press in and say, how does my story fit in? What role does my story play in God's bigger story? We're going to start today in the book of Genesis and look at the first two chapters. So if you have your Bibles, you can turn there with me. It's the very first two chapters of the Bible. So you can hopefully find that pretty easily. If you don't have a Bible with you, you can grab one from the seat back in front of you or uh, underneath your seat, depending on where you're sitting. If you don't have a Bible, take that one home as a gift. As we get into these two chapters, the, the fact is that there is a ton of controversy and discussion around these two chapters that really focus in on the what and the how questions of creation. A lot of times we want to come here and we want to read this and we want it to answer exactly how things happen, exactly what unfolded in creation. And, and those aren't bad discussions to have, but I think we could miss the foundation of the story of God in us if we don't take a step back first and ask the who and the why question of creation. What does creation tell us about who God is, about who we are, and why God put us here on this earth? So if you came here looking for us to dive deep into the what and the how, you're gonna leave disappointed, and I'm sorry. Actually, I'm not sorry. 
Because I think these other two questions are important for us to understand the foundation of this story. So this story of God and us is one where the main character is also the author. And it begins by saying this in Genesis chapter one, verse one. In the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. Right here, Genesis 1 begins by assuming that God simply was in the beginning. This is the first thing we see about God is that God simply was. God has existed for all time. He is eternal. He has no beginning and he will have no end. In Genesis 1, the picture is that that God is the only one or thing that has no beginning. So anything and everything that is came out of him. He is the only uncaused one. Whenever we look at this story of God and us and we see this beginning, we see an important picture of this eternal God and what he did first. And it's really simple. It's simply this, that, that God created in the beginning. In looking at this passage in Genesis, theologians for a long time have used this fancy Latin phrase, ex nihilo, to refer to God's creation, which simply means that that God created out of nothing. Again, like we saw a minute ago, if God is the only one or thing with no beginning, then everything that is came from him. And that's the picture of creation we have in Genesis chapter 1. As Genesis 1 unfolds throughout the rest of the chapter, we see this incredible picture of God's creation through this repeated pattern of God saying, let there be, and then us being told, and it was so. It starts day one as God creates light and darkness. Day two, we see God create an expanse and we see the sky and the sea created. Day three, it gives us this picture of fertile ground, com- fertile ground coming up out of the sea and it being filled with vegetation. Day four pairs up with day one as God creates lights to rule the day and lights to rule the night. Day five pairs up with day two as, as God creates birds to fill the sky and fish to fill the sea. Day six presents the picture of God creating animals to fill the earth. And again and again in Genesis chapter one, we see this picture of God creating things. And we also see God rejoicing in his creation. See, this is a a picture that I think we too often overlook. And it's the fact that, that creation is good. All too often in the church, we get this picture that that the spiritual world matters, but this physical world down here doesn't matter at all. Material stuff is bad. Material world is bad, but, but spiritual stuff, it's good. But I think that whenever we do that, we diminish God, the creator. And we miss the fact that, that creation around us has worth because of the God who created it. We can't get this false picture that that the physical doesn't matter, but the spiritual does, because that's not the picture we have in Scripture. That was an an early heresy that the early church had to confront this picture that, that the physical world was bad. So if a God had created this physical world, he's not a God worthy to be worshiped. Therefore, the true God must just be a spiritual God. But instead of giving in to that, the early church looked in and saw the picture of God in creation and said, no, no, no. 
The, pic, the scriptures give us a picture of a God who created creation that is and was good. I think whenever we look at this, we can learn a lot from the Apostle Paul, who whenever he looked at creation, he was talking specifically about food and drink. But he said this in 1 Timothy chapter 4, verse 4, in looking at creation. He said, for everything created by God is good and nothing is to be rejected if it is received with thanksgiving. The goodness of creation is something that we can't miss in Genesis 1. Day six of, of creation also gives us the high point of creation. As God creates man, here's what we see in Genesis 1, 26 and 27. It says, then God said, let us make man in our image according to our likeness. They will rule the fish of the sea, the birds of the sky, the livestock, the whole earth, and the creatures that crawl on the earth. So God created man in his image. He created him in the image of God. He created them male and female. As we look at this, the thing that I don't want us to miss is that God had a blank canvas and yet he chose to make man in his image. God chose to write mankind into his story. I mean, think about this. God had a blank canvas to work with. And instead of making T-Rex in his image, which would have been my approach, he made Andrew Bondurant in his image. How does that make sense? T-Rex is a little bit more impressive than man to me, but God chose to make man and set man apart for a special role. The thing that I don't want us to miss as we look at this piece of creation is that God created us on purpose. We can't miss this truth in Genesis 1, that, that we are not here by random chance, but that God put man here on purpose. The fact is that, that we have as people an inherent worth and dignity that no one can take away from us. Is your story one that, that you think is defined based upon something that, that someone else did to you? It makes you feel worthless? Is your story one that's defined based upon what, something, what, what someone said to you that makes you feel worthless? The thing I want you to hear today and see clearly here in Genesis 1 is that being an image bearer means that you have a worth and dignity that cannot be taken away by anyone. Because that's what God created us for. He created us on purpose. Genesis chapter two takes a closer look in on God's creation of man. And we see this in Genesis chapter two, verse seven. It says, then the Lord God formed the man out of the dust from the ground and breathed the breath of life into his nostrils. And the man became a living being. In Genesis chapter two, we see this picture of God creating both man and animals out of the dust. Yet mankind was set apart because he was created in man's image. And, and the second piece here, because it gives us this picture of God breathing the breath of life into man's nostrils. I think sometimes we too often think about our stories as being defined based upon dirt and dust from our past. We think that, that this worthless stuff from our past that, that covers us means that we are now worthless. But I think when we do that, we miss the fact that the creator God in scripture is pictured as one who takes dirt and dust and breathes life into it. So if your story is defined based upon a, a past that... Well, you just don't think and 
can ever be redeemed. I want you to hear today that our God is one who can breathe life into your story. There's nothing that God cannot breathe life into. Your past does not have to define you. The thing that I don't want us to miss also here is that seeing that God created man on purpose and that we are image bearers changes the way we view one another as well. James chapter three, verses nine and 10 talks a little bit about this. James is calling out these people because he says that that you praise God with your mouth. You bless God with your mouth. But with that same mouth, you curse man who was made in God's image. He says, brothers and sisters, this should not be so. And I think that that's a word that we need to hear today as well. Because in the world we live in, we're taught to to treat other people based upon their political views or we're treated to treat other people based upon their mistakes in the past. And what I don't want us to miss is that what we should see first and foremost is that that person is an image bearer of God. And that should define how we respond to others. Genesis chapter two goes on to say this in verses eight and nine about where it is that God placed man. It says, the Lord God planted a garden in Eden in the east and there he placed the man he had formed. The Lord God caused to grow out of the ground every tree pleasing in appearance and good for food, including the tree of, the li- or tree of life in the middle of the garden, as well as the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. The picture we get here of God creating man and placing him in, into this garden is one of man basically being put into paradise. Mankind is is put in a place where the trees are pleasing to look at. He's put in this place that's just gorgeous. And he's also put in a place where the food is good to eat. In the verses that come here, we see that, that God only gave man one like deep instruction about something to avoid. He said, do not eat from the tree of the knowledge and good and evil or you will surely die. And Genesis chapter two gives us this picture of the place where Adam is at. And it gives us this picture that Adam's like, okay, why, why would I have to go after that when I've got all this goodness around me, when I've got God's good creation here? As we look at creation, it's incredible to me that, that God not only created man on purpose, but he also gave man a special role in creation. Genesis chapter two gives us this picture of man being placed in the garden to rule over and to cultivate the ground. He's ultimately to work the ground. When David looked back at creation in Psalm eight, he looked back and he says, I look at the work of God's hands in creating the skies. And he's left asking himself a question. Let's look at it in Psalm eight, verse four. As David looks at creation and then he looks at himself, he says, what is a human being that you remember him? A son of man that you look after him. You made him little less than God and crowned him with glory and honor. You made him ruler over the works of your hands. You put everything under his feet. As we see um, David here looking at creation, the first thing we see is that he is blown away that God is even interested in people. And I can feel the exact same way. 
Friday night, I had to, to grab our box truck and bring it back here at church. And I remember getting out of the truck and looking up and it just being one of those nights where I could see so clearly the stars in the sky. And it just felt so insignificant. And I think that's the picture we get here of David looking at all of God's creation and thinking, wait a minute, me? You choose to, to remember me and give me a special role in creation? Why? The second thing, again, that we see David marvel at is that God gave man the role of ruling over creation. That's incredible. Here we see the picture that, that mankind was God's plan A for caring for creation. The other thing I don't want us to miss here is that caring for creation was work. I think unfortunately too often we view work as something we just press through so we can get to the relaxation part. But the picture we have here of work is that work was here before the fall. Work was not here after sin came into the world. It was there all along. And the fact is this, that all work has dignity because when we work, we have the opportunity to reflect God's image to the world. Not only that, but the work that we do as we care for this world that God has given us has worth because the world that we're taking care of is inherently good, like we saw earlier. As we work, we have an opportunity to mirror our creator God in the way that we work. And as we create a culture that looks more and more like the story of God in us that we see in Scripture. We also see in Genesis chapter 2 that, that man was created for community. You see, if you read Genesis 1 and 2 together, Genesis 2.18 should catch you off guard. Because if you look in Genesis 1, you see seven times this idea that, that God's creation is good, 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 and then very good. But in Genesis chapter 2:18, we see that, that man is there by himself and God hasn't created woman yet. And I think we see a picture here uh, that's really interesting. Here's what it says in Genesis chapter 2, verse 18. It says, then the Lord God said, it is not good for man to be alone. I will make a helper corresponding to him. Again, this is the first time we see this idea of not good in creation. The fact is that that man there by himself says it's not good. So God brings the, the animals before man just to, to kind of prove the point. Hey, the, none of, you're not going to find a suitable helper here. And then God, what, what God does is he takes the rib out of man and he creates woman. And then this is when Adam sees, whoa, this this is a helper corresponding to me. This is a helper that, that's good for me. Unfortunately, I think we, we can read this idea of helper corresponding to him as being a negative thing. We think of it as being a statement about the worth and dignity of certain genders of male or female, about one being superior to the other. But I think when we do that, we miss what's actually being said here. You see, this word helper is used repeatedly throughout the first five books of the Bible and the rest of the Bible to talk about God coming alongside Israel. So as I thought about that this week, I was faced with a question. If God is called the helper of Israel, and we would never say that that therefore means that Israel is superior to God, 
then how can we look at Genesis chapter two and get any hint that man is superior to women? No, the fact is that we see a picture here of man and woman having a different role, but that says nothing at all to diminish the role and the dignity of man and woman. The fact is that if you look at the first five books of the Bible and you look at how this idea of woman as as helper or this term helper is used throughout that passage, rather than being a statement of, of dignity, a statement of worth, a statement of status, we would see it as setting aside this role as having special dignity. I don't want us to miss that as we look at this passage. Genesis 2 makes clear that man was created for community. Now, I was talking with Ross this week, one of our other pastors, and we started talking about this idea of the difference that community can really make for us. He said he was watching a show a couple weeks ago, and this guy brought up a great point. He said, you can have a steak dinner with a guy who's a complete jerk, and that's a terrible meal. But you can have hot dogs with friends, and that's a great meal. Why? Because the people you're with, the fact is we're we're created for partnership. I mean, we're getting ready to to even recognize this at a higher level here in Evansville in a few weeks. I mean, we got Fall Fest coming up, right? The fact is, I know there are some people here and especially at West Campus, you probably go to Fall Fest by yourself. I know Matt Volkman probably does, but I'm here to tell you today that going to Fall Fest by yourself, it's not the same as going with other people. The fact is that if I go to Fall Fest with other people, I'll probably eat just about anything deep fried, right? Why? Because people make a difference. When we see that that God created us for partnership, the thing I want us to see is that that's not just talking about marriage. It's talking about our need for other people. And the fact is that needing other people shouldn't be viewed as a negative. It's part of who we are as people. We're not created to be self-sufficient. We have a self-sufficient God, but we need community. Before we close out service, I want us just to, to take a minute to look at the last verse in Genesis 2. Here's what it says in Genesis 2:25. Both the man and his wife were naked yet felt no shame. Now, before you go covering the ears of your child, don't worry, we're not going to go there. (laughs) The fact is that I think this passage is talking about more than just physical or sexual shame. I think the picture we have here in creation is one of a place where there's no psychological or spiritual or emotional shame either. And as I read this this week, I was confronted with the fact that all too often our dominant story is one that tells us that we should be ashamed. Maybe it's one that tells us we should be ashamed because of something that happened to us. Maybe it's one that tells us we should be ashamed because of something we've done, that that changes who we are. But whenever we see a story that says that, the thing I want us to see is that in the story of God right here in Genesis 2, we see that that was not God's original intent. That God's original intent did not carry shame with it. So if your story is one that says that you have shame that cannot be taken care of, I want us to see the truth of what the gospel speaks into this. 
Because the truth is that because of who Jesus is and what Jesus has done, we can be freed from our shame and we can again live as people who have no shame. But that's only in and through Christ at work in us. You know, whenever I was thinking about what I said earlier, the whole idea that that often one of my greatest fears is that someone will truly know me. I'm struck by the fact that, that the truth of what happened in the gospel is this. That God not only knows you, me. He he doesn't just know the Wikipedia version of our life, of, of facts about us, but God knows us truly, yet he loves us more than we can imagine. And if that's the case, I think that frees us to say, okay, God, I'm done just living by my dominant story. I'm done just living my own way. I want to see how my story fits into your story. I think if we take time to look at that and we press in and give God the opportunity to speak into us, the thing that we'll see is that God created us on purpose God created us for a purpose and God's purpose for us wasn't to walk around covered in shame. It was to walk in freedom. And that's possible in and through Christ and Christ alone. Let's pray. And as we walk through these next few weeks, I just wanna encourage you, ask that question. What does it look like for my story to fit into God's story? Let's pray. Father, we thank you for this story of creation, for this picture of a beginning that was good. God, we can look at our stories now and see that they just don't seem to fit that mold. We've got things that make us feel like we're covered in shame that we can't shake. God, I hope that over these next few weeks, we we can press into your story. God, open our hearts, open our minds to receive the, the truth that you've written a better story. And that story includes us. God, you are good. And we thank you for that. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen.